You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Friday to all my whitetail bums out there. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am happy it's Friday, and I am even happier that I am going to be spending a lot of time in the tree stand. It's been almost, uh, oh, it's been almost two weeks since I've been in the tree. And, uh, you know, I am very excited. We got some cooler temperatures in Iowa right now. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hunting three different stand locations this uh, this weekend and I think I already have them planned out based off of uh, you know previous year's history of where deer are moving this time of year so I'm really looking forward to just getting out there soaking up some of this this good cold cool weather that we're going to be having and uh, you know putting that piece of the puzzle together making sure my trail cameras are in the right position making sure my tree stands are in the right position and uh, uh, I don't know if I'll be d- jumping into any of my uh, my great stands quite yet, but I will be in an observation uh, stands uh, in in some of those stands to maybe see what's coming in and out. If uh, you know, if I see something uh, one of those nights, I'll be definitely moving in for uh, the kill uh, the next night or the next morning. So we will definitely see what all is happening on uh on the farms that i'm hunting and you know like i said checking trail cameras as well but today we have a really kick-ass podcast with a really interesting guest um and i'm sure some of you guys know him his name is garrett pruel and i think i said that right but he is the diy sportsman and he has a website, DIY-sportsman.com, and he just talks about his little adventures. He talks about, um, you know, he films his hunts, and uh, he's up in Minnesota. He does some metro hunts. But what I really want him on this podcast for is to talk about DIY hunting. He talks about some tree stand uh, tweaks some sticks, tweaks, some running gun setups. And, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of this information I wanted to find out. So I was like, hell, why not just have them on the show so you guys can uh, hear it as well. But uh, just a really cool 
podcast talking about gear, how he uses it, um, maybe some shortcuts, maybe uh, things to cut weight to um, you know make uh, your tree stands or sticks quieter, all that kind of stuff. So we have a really, really fun conversation for that. But before we get into this podcast, I asked John Livingston, one of the owners of Deer Lab, what is Deer Lab? That's a great question, Dan. Uh, Deer Lab is a web-based service that helps you manage and analyze your trail camera photos. We work with any trail camera. It doesn't matter what kind of trail camera you have. Um, you upload your photos to our service. As long as it has a timestamp, we can work with it. And so we basically go in and pull weather data from your local weather station and give you additional information that trail cameras can't capture. We also aggregate all of the data together. So you know when and where this particular buck is moving, uh, how he's moving by wind direction and wind speed. Uh, there's a lot of different reports that we can provide, but we basically are trying to simplify the process. Instead of having to manually understand what he's doing, we automate a lot of that information. If you guys want to find out more information about Deer Lab, go to DeerLab.com backslash nine fingers and they have created a landing page specifically for the listeners of the nine finger chronicles podcast and you guys will receive a 30 day free trial period that's uh pretty impressive and uh take a look at it play around with it it's uh pretty interesting pretty fun and i can tell you i am now using it every day or not every day but every week um to try to figure out what the bucks on my property are doing and trying to forecast what the best odds of that hunt, uh, where I need to be, uh, where the next hunt's going to be. So go ahead and check them out. Now let's get into this week's podcast with Garrett, the DIY sportsman. All right. On the phone with me now is Garrett Prawl. Did I say that right? Yep. All right. Perfect. Perfect. And you are the DIY sportsman. Uh, how's it going today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, good. just got off work a little while ago and you know, pretty much just thinking about hunting and ready to talk. So perfect. What do you, what do you do for a living? Uh, I am in, I guess I, I wear a couple of different hats in my work, but technically I'm a engineering project manager. Okay. Um, do a little bit of quality work, a lot of engineering and then uh, probably about 50% management. Okay. Um, so what, I mean, do you work for a manufacturing company or? Yeah, we do contract design and manufacturing and it's all medical devices. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh, whereabouts do you, whereabouts do you live and where do you do most of your hunting? I live just North of the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. Okay. So I do most of my hunting just kind of on the North side of the Metro. Um, I also do a lot of hunting over on the west side of Wisconsin. Okay. I can get to a lot of spots that are around an hour or so, so it's not too bad of a drive. And then every now and then I'll go drive up to uh, the Duluth area. I have some college buddies up there that have a little bit of land, so I like to get up there every now and then because that's kind of like my deer camp. Otherwise, it's pretty much solo for me. Right, right. So what uh, what area do you prefer to hunt of all those three? Hmm. I like the stuff way up north just because the scenery up there is is really cool. It's really unique. It's something you don't get a lot of in the uh, the rest of the upper Midwest. Right. It's more of that 
pine and aspen blend um, instead of your typical, you know, oak forests or, or what have you. But I also like uh, the bluff country in western Wisconsin. So I guess it's, it's kind of hard to choose between those two. Yeah. So are you doing uh, your hunting on a, a lot of private land, public land? What's your story there? It's probably about some years I'll do 100% public. Some years it's like 75, 25. This year it's, I'd like to get up north to those guys by Duluth for like the rut for a couple of days. That would right. be my only real private land this year. Otherwise it's all public. And then I do the Metro hunt here in the Twin Cities every now and then. So that would be, even though it's technically public, I guess, I don't really yeah. consider it public just because it's, it's so much different. Right. I actually talked to a guy on the podcast once, I believe, about uh, Twin Cities Metro hunt. And not necessarily, I don't know if it was actually a Metro hunt as much as it was in the actual, you know, the suburbs surrounding the city. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that hunt like? So the the actual Metro hunt that you have to apply for and do the, the shooting tests and stuff. It's it's usually just like a couple weekends. So like some metro hunts, depending on the city, you'll have like the whole entire season to hunt and it's just that you have to have like a permission slip or something like that. Right. But this one's a lot more controlled. Um okay. there's a lot more uh rules involved, it's a lot more structured. So some that turns a lot of guys off, but you know, I find if you just kinda of play by the rules and and do what you're supposed to, it's it can be a, a pretty good way to put meat in the freezer. Well I had a over where I hunt, um, my county that I live in used to be one of the highest populated deer, uh, deer counties in the entire state of Iowa. And I can remember riding my bike, uh, down bike trails in October before I was serious about hunting. And there would be signs up that would say archery hunt in progress. And Mm -hmm. the hunter, because he, because he was hunting, in a lot of, you know, people's backyards or hunting in, um, you know, bike trails or state park, you know, not necessarily state parks, but city parks, he would have to go on one side of the, um, on one side of the, uh, trail and put, or the bike path and put a sign and then another, uh, area of the bike path and put a sign. So if you're walking by, there would be people walking by with a guy up in the tree. And it would be, it would, it would just be funny to me to sit in a tree and be able to basically have a conversation with people as, uh, <laughs> as you're walking yeah. by. Yeah. They do have some problems every now and then just with like, uh, like anti hunters that'll get wind of the hunt and, and go and try to, to ruin it for people. But that's usually pretty far in, or few and far between. I've okay. never seen anybody else walking through usually the signs that they put up or enough to keep people out of the woods at least for that day or that weekend or whatever it'd be sometimes they have them on weekdays all right all right so now i kind of want to get into the well actually before we get into that how has your season been so far i mean have you have you got it sounds like you've uh, spent some time in this tree have you Mm -hmm. got any opportunities seen any decent deer yeah on opening morning i i blew it um i was onto my longbow and out of my new saddle setup. So kind of a new combo for me. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a doe. It might've been a button buck. I couldn't really tell it was, it was so thick where it was walking, but 20 yards broadside. And I just, it was so quiet because the woods were wet. I didn't see it. 
it was enough time to really grab my bow. So I had to try and speed everything up, turn the camera on. And by that time he, or she saw me and, and jumped off. Um, I've been out in public a few more times in Wisconsin and had deer that weren't within range. Um, it's been all weekends this year, just because it is such a, a far drive to get over there. Right. I've been kind of doing my focus more on Wisconsin this year. So for me to drive an hour through rush hour across the cities, it pretty much limits me to weekends. Uh, but I did do one Metro hunt already and I, I shot a doe during that. So I do have some fresh venison in the freezer, which is always nice. Nice. So, okay. My question is you, you shoot this on a, a Metro hunt. Are you having to drag this deer through anybody's yard or, um, because I can just imagine seeing some, some person, you know, going to their sink for a glass of water. And they're looking in their backyard and there's a hunter gutting a deer right in the backyard. It's totally different depending on where you're at. Um, There are some hunts that you are in people's backyard because that's the only land they have available to actually hunt on. And all the people that are part of it have signed off and and all that. But a lot of times if it's that type of a hunt, they'll actually have you drag the deer out whole and they'll have a specific spot where you take it to gut it. Clean it. Um, but, But then there's other ones like some of the really big, uh, city parks and whatnot they're they have marshes and you know they're a little bit more rugged so you can have a gut pile and nobody would ever really find it so what about big bucks in this area do do deer ever get to a mature level because i know in illinois in some of these suburbs there's giants walking around you know 200 inches what about up there oh yeah there's there's definitely some big ones um, last year, the Metro hunt that I did, there was at one point a buck that I saw a cell phone picture of. I didn't see the buck in person, but it was probably about a, maybe like 150 inch tall pointer. Oh, nice. Um, over the years, I've seen pictures of deer that are taken out of there. They're, you know, probably if not Boone and Crockett, very close. Right. Um, very rarely there's some like true giants. Like I think one of the, um, there's a lady I remember seeing a picture of. She had like a, a 20-something point buck that was big non-typical. Oh, nice. But nice. for the most part, I think it's um, – they're, they're around, but there's not as many of them. Just over the years, like some of them get shot. The ones that are old are still smart. You know, a lot of times the younger deer are like really dumb. Like, you know, you get yearling bucks that are dumb out in public land sometimes. Like in the metro hunts, they're like really not very educated at all. Uh, but right. the big ones, it seems like for whatever reason, it's like they, they've got it figured out and you still can't get away with a whole lot. Okay. Well, man, good luck the rest of the season. Hopefully you can connect on uh, on on something, whether it's in Wisconsin or up north at Deer Camp. or any. How many tags do you get for your Metro hunt? Is it unlimited? It's unlimited does, but okay. you don't get any. It's all just your normal tags for the state. Yeah. So whatever you have for – like Minnesota, it's one buck only yeah. for any season. So okay. that's just what you're limited to. If you shoot a buck during the Metro hunt, then you can't shoot one somewhere else in the state and vice versa. Right. The uh, That city hunt I was talking about where I live, uh, you got, if you kill five does, you get an extra buck tag. And that buck tag has to be used in those city limits confinements. But it's kind of like motivation to help, you know, 
if you're going to take part in this, you don't mm-hmm. want to just you right. don't want somebody to go out and you know shoot a buck just because there's a big buck in somebody's backyard. They want you know to have some of that motivation to uh, go out and actually harvest some does. Right. I kind of wish it was like that too because uh, they're starting to get a little bit better. I think for a long time, a lot of the hunts were like doe only the first weekend, kind of like an earn a buck type of thing. And right. the place that I was at last year, I think combined as a group, we saw like 15 or 16 bucks and like okay. two does and there's doe only. So everybody, you know, you're just seeing deer and you can't shoot them. Okay. But now a lot of them are, you can shoot whatever you want, but there's, you still, you don't get a, an extra tag, extra buck tag. And so a lot of guys are, are passing on the smaller bucks because they're waiting on a big one, which kind of defeats the purpose of the deer reduction in the, in the first place. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Why I asked you here today, Garrett, is because you are, like I said earlier, the DIY sportsman. You have uh, a website, uh, DIY-sportsman.com. And why don't you tell us what that website is, what your goal with that is, and, and maybe why you started it and what got you into that? Yeah, so I guess for me, it's just kind of a place for me to share everything that I do that's hunting or fishing related. So a lot of it's gear reviews or uh, like DIY tips, whether it's mapping something or, or building something. And then I try to record all my hunts and share videos of, of those when I get them. So for me, it's more of kind of like, a, I guess, a glorified hobby at this point. Right. Um, when I first started, it was just purely filming my hunts. Um, and then it just kind of grew into the other stuff. Okay. Was there a lot of interest uh, by some of your followers on, hey, I, I saw that you did this to your tree stand or you did this to a piece of equipment. Uh, tell me more about that. Is that kind of how it morphed into the DIY side, side of things? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, when I was first getting into just filming the hunts, that's kind of when I started getting interested in the camera gear. And so my, my film skills through just kind of self-study starting a little bit better. Right. And then I'm very active on all the a whole bunch of forums. Right. So the forums are where I'm a lot more active than I am on YouTube or Facebook or, or whatever. And uh, sometimes we'll be sharing stuff on the forums and it might be something that I learned from the forums or something that I put my own spin on and, and share it back out. I'm able to make a video of that then and share it to a wider audience that doesn't have to be viewing that one specific thread on a forum to really get the information. Right. Okay. Well, I think uh, what we'll do is we'll just uh, jump right into some of these topics that I want to cover today. And I, I, I get this question all the time and uh, you know, Hey Dan, what is your, what is your perfect running gun setup? What do you like for running gun setup? You know, tell me, how do you carry your sticks? How do you carry your bag? How do you, you know, all these different random questions. And there's a, there are a thousand different ways to do it, but why don't you kind of talk, walk us through maybe your run and gun setup as far as, you know, walking, you know, putting your stand on your back and walking into the timber and setting up right there. Um, Mm -hmm. no, no, you know, you're starting from scratch, walk us through that and maybe go into some details on, uh, not only the gear portion, but why you decided to make that decision. Okay. So for me, it's kind of morphed. I've tried a little bit of everything, I think. Um, but right now my go-to setup is 
either a lightweight hang on like a lone wolf assault or, or like, you know, a similar XOP or something like that. Yep. And two full length climbing sticks, each of the two full length climbing sticks with a webbing extension to get a little bit of extra height without the added weight. Okay. And I'm either holding those sticks onto my skin with stick talons or I'm bunging them on. And I think the, the stick talons are better for people that don't have a lot of other gear because you have the opportunity then to just be able to take your stand, right? You don't have to take your stand off your back and set it on the ground and take your sticks off. You can just start climbing and just kind of pick the sticks off your stand as you go. Um, but for me, I'm, I got a huge backpack that has my camera gear, a bunch of water, um, extra clothes if it's cold. Okay. So if I'm doing that, I end up having to take my pack off anyway, so I don't really gain as much from the talons. And sometimes in that case, I'll just bungee everything down. Um, right. So, but yeah, that's kind of the, the main setup, I guess. For, so, I've, so I've done those, less sticks. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, you you said two. You said two lone mm-hmm. wolf sticks, right? Now, yep. those are the three step sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then those are. So, how high are you you getting? Um, usually, I'm between ten and fifteen feet. Okay, so you're not very high. I because no. on a majority of my running gun setups, I'm bringing four sticks and getting, you know, between between twenty, you know, somewhere between fifteen mm-hmm. to twenty feet, depending on the straightness of the tree. Now, why do you decide to go with just two and hunt lower? A lot of it's just dependent on where the cover is. Okay. Um, early season, I'm always lower than later in the season. Like, I think this year I haven't gone higher than 14 feet yet, but I know okay. that now that the leaves are falling off, my average might move to, you know, 14 to to 18 feet. Um, and I won't be able to get that high with just the two sticks unless I do, like, the one-stick method for a little bit of it. And in that case, okay. I might just bring a third stick. But the reason that I don't use – that I use two instead of three is just because so many hunts I've gone out with three sticks, and I just – I start climbing – and I'm like, well, actually, I just want to put the stand right here because if I go higher, I won't be able to see because there's too many, too much foliage or there's a limb that isn't going to sit well with the stand. So I'll just hang the stand a little bit lower and I'm just tossing that third stick on the ground. And that's happened so often that I just, I've gotten to the point where I don't bring the third stick for a lot of hunts. Okay. Now, as the season progresses, I mean, are you not trimming shooting lanes because you, you hunt majority on public land or, or, because if I was to, if I was to, I always have to, if I'm doing a running gun set, I'm bringing some kind of pole saw with me or, uh, mm-hmm. or hand saw where I'm trimming some type of shooting lane. Um, is the reason you're sitting lower to try to avoid that? Um, not always. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll put it this way. If I had a saw, I probably could go higher in a lot of instances. Um, but it might mean if I'm, you know, if I'm close to a better deer, I don't want to use a saw typically just because it's a little bit extra noise and extra movement. Right. And sometimes being low in that case is better because you can stay out of sight. If you get too high, the deer might see you from where it's bedded, but you're really close. Obviously, if you're in like a rut hunt, hunting a funnel, it doesn't matter as much. Um, and then a lot of cases, like when I'm up in Minnesota, the northern part of it with my buddies, I'll, I'll bring a saw, usually in a pruning shears. And um, the setups up there are just a lot of 
times different from down here just because of how the terrain is. Mm-hmm. So I think that almost makes a bigger impact than whether or not I want to use a saw. It's just how the land lays out, how tall the trees are, how big around the trees are in general, how many limbs right. um, that all goes into. Because a lot of stuff that I hunt, it's small trees, a lot of branches. So it just sets up well for lower stand heights okay. and not a lot of a trimming just because of the public land thing in general. Gotcha. And you're not allowed to trim trees on public ground, right? Right. Okay. There's a, I mean, depending on the type of public land it is, most of the stuff I hunt you can't. And I'll right. still like, I'll break the little twigs and stuff with my hand or I'll take branches and I'll bend them around other branches. So they're just kind of sitting back there spring loaded, but. Gotcha. Now, I know what the the uh, stick talons are, but why don't you describe to the uh, to the listeners who maybe don't know what they are, what they are, and how you use them? Yeah, so the stick talon it's like a it's a bracket that you bolt onto your tree stand, like a set of four brackets. So you'd have two brackets would be able to hold one stick or two sticks. Um, the brackets are U shaped or U shaped channels, so and you have them mounted onto your tree stand, you can take your stick and you can just press fit the stick into the talons. And then you can just do the same thing and pull it right back out. Um, so it allows you to not have to use bungees or anything else because the talons hold the sticks tight enough that they don't fall out, but not so tight that you need to use a lot of force to remove them. Okay. So, why do you use those as opposed to, you know, like on some of these lone wolf sticks, you can stack the sticks and then strap it to the actual stand itself, almost like what it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that this method is easier for you? You know, obviously, I feel like you're a very calculated guy, so there has to be a reasoning to why you're doing everything that you're doing. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for the talons, or even when I'm not using the talons, if I'm bungeeing the sticks, they're always laying flat. I never stack them up like they're intended to. Right. Just because a lot of the times when I'm walking through, you know, like a portion of tag alder swamp or something to get to a setup, it's so thick that I, you know, I'm bending over, crouched down, trying to get through this deer trail essentially, and the sticks are just catching on everything. Right. So the lower profiling keeps the sticks, the less they're going to catch. And that. Right gives you a benefit for the stick talons as well as just laying your sticks flat, however you want to do it. But the stick talons give you the extra benefit of just being able to not have to take the stand off your back, just walk to the base of the tree and start climbing. Right. Okay. Um, so are you, with that setup, are you able to go up a tree one time without having to, for me, I'll just kind of, I have a, a backpack. I strap my sticks to it uh, or my stand to it or I lay my stand down. Um, I put a piece of, piece of clothing. I don't – I'm not stacking my sticks. I, I stack my sticks but I'm not stacking them to the stand anymore. I put those on top of the clothing basically so it's quiet. Then I strap uh, my backpack straps down and it's really solid. doesn't make any noise going in. But when I get to the tree, I have to take my backpack off. I have to take the stand off. I have to take the sticks apart and go, mm-hmm. you know, go up and down the tree a couple times, but you know, I'm still doing it under 10 minutes, right? I'm, I can set a right. stand up another right. 10 minutes. Well, so that general setup that you do, 
as far as packing the stuff together. That's pretty much what I do normally with all my camera gear. But I usually put the sticks down first, and then I'll put the pack on top of that, and then I'll put the clothes on top of that, and then I'll put the bungees in an X over everything. Right. And that keeps everything pretty solid, too. Okay. Uh, and it keeps the, the weight of the sticks closer to your back, which might make it a little bit easier to carry. But then I'm pretty much always able to go up in one trip. Um, so, like, what you could do if you wanted to go up in one trip is you could tie a couple of loops of paracord to, your, like, the backside of your harness. Right. And then you can just fiddle the sticks into those paracord loops. You got one on each side, and then you got one that you stick right on the tree. You have one in your hand. You step onto that first stick, you mount the second stick. And then as you climb with your lineman's belt, then you can grab your third and fourth sticks out of your uh, loops on your harness. Nice. And uh, and is that that's kind of what you're doing right now. You, you, you take everything apart, you set it, set it up, mm-hmm. or you, you attach it to your belt. And then, and then what do you do with your bow? Do you have that on some kind of tote rope that's connected to your stand? So when you're up and set up, it's it's been attached to you the entire time? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've done the hook uh, where I've basically tied like a, a big musky hook and a lead weight to a piece of paracord and just dropped it down to grab the bow. Okay. And that works too, but not in every scenario. And if you got a lot of branches, it's a little bit tough. So it's tough to do when it's dark. Right. Um, what I usually do is I just have a piece of paracord or one eighth inch accessory cord and i'll just tie a loop in it like a four or five inch loop okay and then if i'm using the compound bow i'll feed that loop through the cam and then around the stabilizer so that keeps the bow vertical when i pull it up i think that's uh i got that from a video on the third hand bow rope it's a youtube video that i saw that little trick from and i've been using it ever since for the most part works well so with the, the traditional bow too you're, you're pulling it up from the, uh, from the stabilizer and it's so, so the string is down facing down, right? You can have it either way, depending on whether or not you want your arrows face facing up or facing down. Okay. But it would be, yeah, the loop would be around the stabilizer and then the free end would be through the hole in the, like one of the cams. Gotcha. So when you pull the rope tight, the rope is vertical. Okay. I gotcha. Um, and then, so when you're up in your tree and you know, you get your bow set up, um, you know, and I guess go ahead and talk a little bit about you bring a camera arm everywhere you go. And I know a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys are doing filming their hunts these days. So Mm -hmm. you, you, you get the stand up. I take it. Your next step is to get strapped in with your safety harness and then, I mean, do you have hooks in your pocket that you screw, screw in the trees so you can start hanging your stuff up or walk us through that at once from, you know, from yeah, so once, pre- pretty much yeah, everything I use, everything in my system is free of anything screwing just because then it, I can use it anywhere. Right. Um, so like for accessory hooks, I've done some that are paracord based and some that are strap based. I think the strap based ones are generally a little bit more solid just because you don't get as much uh, twisting. But for holding the bow, I have tended to gravitate towards the uh, little third-hand seat-mounted hook. It's like a little piece of S-shaped metal that mounts to the side of your seat. Right. Which is nice because then you don't have to screw in a bow holder or strap one around the tree, and it's 
unlike having it mounted to like your platform it's a lot less movement if you need to grab it so that's kind of what i do for my bow now um as far as everything else so like you said camera arm what i used to do when i had a camera arm that was all one piece is i would actually have a second pull rope for that just like for my bow and i would have one tied to my left hip one tied to my right hip i climb the tree and then i pull up the camera arm set it up and then pull up the bow and then i'd be ready to hunt nice. but what I do now, because I got a new camera on this year that has a separate base and arm. So I'll keep both of those in my pack. And then I actually take the base out at the base of the tree. And I'll just kind of hook it onto one of the loops in my pack. So it's on the outside of my pack instead of on the inside. And then when I climb up on the stand, I can kind of reach behind my shoulders and grab that base, strap the base onto the tree, and then uh, take the backpack off, hang it on the hook that's part of the base and then pull out the actual arm and get everything set up. How many times do you practice, uh, doing what it is you do? I mean, do you practice in like your backyard or, uh, going up and down, trying to find the most efficient way possible for you? Or is it something that you've just learned over the years? Um, I'd say most of the practice is just trial and error. I don't do a lot like the backyard. I just, when I go hunting, I'll be like, oh, I'll try this this time. And it'll either work really well or it'll just be terrible. And I'll just say, okay, well, that was a waste of time and I won't do it again, you know. Got you. Got you. All right. So let's talk a little bit about some some tree stand tweaks and some stick tweaks. Uh, I know for me this year was the first year ever that I've I took some athletic tape and I wrapped it around some of my sticks to, you know, help. And it was just kind of a fast half-assed thing, but it mm-hmm. actually, it does reduce the noise if a, you know, the buckle uh, clinks on it or something like that. But why don't you walk us through some tree stand tweaks, whether it's about, you know, making it lighter or making, adding accessories to it or making it, making it quieter. Okay. So for the tree stand, there's a couple things you can do to silence it. Um, number, well, I guess there's no real order to it, but I like wrapping the end of the platform with paracord or a thicker rope. Um, it doesn't really do a ton for noise while you're in the stand, but it helps reduce noise when you're walking around getting to your stand site and the seats bouncing up and down potentially. So it reduces that using bungees instead of a strap to hold everything down to help reduce the noise as you're walking. Um, For the buckles on the straps, if you have one of those types of systems, I always cover those up. Um, You can either use rubber bicycle tubing or you can use like belt and glue it to the buckle. Um, Some guys use neoprene. You can get like little neoprene tubes those work all right um and then there's also like the stealth strips which like the commercial it's like a micro suede adhesive backed silencing stuff that's camouflage and made for hunting so i'll use that sometimes too just on like the post of the tree stand right and then kind of what i do is is i'll just look for any sources of noise i'll try to make noise just in my garage or whatever and if i can find a metal on metal contact point i'll tape it uh, and just make sure that there's really no, there's nothing that I'm missing. There's no chance right. for noise to be made. 
Right. Okay. Same thing with sticks. Um, I always silence the buckles and then uh, usually I have all stall strips on my sticks. I've done the athletic tape before. Um, well, I did before I went to stall strips, I tried uh, like hockey tape and right. or electrical tape covered with like the camel cloth tape that you can get from like Dick's Sporting Goods or Walmart or whatever. Yeah. And that was good for like a year or two. And then it really started to break down. And I haven't had those kind of problems yet with the commercial stuff. So that's just kind of one of those things where the DIY thing, even though you save money, just wasn't quite as good for me in the long run. So you, so the stealth strips are, in your opinion, the way to go. Yeah. And that's the only commercial product that I've tried other than like the camel cloth tape, yeah. um, which I'm not a huge fan of. But the stealth strips, yeah, I've, I use that stuff on a lot of things. I have it on. My bow, I have it on my tree stand, my climbing sticks, my release. I got, I just order that stuff in bulk pretty much and uh, use it wherever I can. Just to I definitely overuse. I definitely overuse it. I mean, like, there's some things that I really don't have a need for the stealth strips, and I'll put it on <laughs> anyway just because it adds camel or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I just imagined you, like, sitting in there uh, so cold that your teeth started to chatter. And you put stealth strips on your teeth. I don't know why I thought of that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I did. <laughs> I just kind of called you in my basement. Um, so, uh, any any other type of tree stand tweaks, or um, you know, you talked about adding the the bow bracket to the side of the seat. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that you maybe would say, "Hey, I've tried this. Don't do it." Um, it, it doesn't work or maybe it, it, uh, it has an opposite opposite effect as far as maybe the integrity of the tree stand or stick is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that one thing would be not necessarily tree stand or uh, climbing stick related it would be a camera arm. I just want to throw that out there for anybody that is getting into filming and think you're going to save money by trying to make your own camera arm unless you have access to like a milling machine right. or a welder, you're probably not going to end up saving money in the long run. Right. Um, apart from that, hmm, there's definitely been some things that I've tried and have gone back from um, in terms of just using different climbing methods. That would probably be the biggest, be the biggest thing. I've tried everything from using the climbing sticks, like four of them with no, webbing loops to having double webbing loops on them to just using one climbing stick to using no climbing sticks and just climbing with like a rock climbing webbing aider. Um, so that's probably something that a lot of guys that are doing the the DIY run and gun thing are, are interested about because it takes, you know, you got to order some materials to be able to try that out. And, uh, one thing that it's kind of tough to get a good feeling for before you actually try it is just the stability having no webbing eaters is going to be rock solid with your climbing sticks. You're not going to have any problems in terms of like balance or anything like that with the webbing eaters. You're going to get some different answers on that, but I've generally found that anything more than one webbing extension, like one stirrup loop is kind of the point where I think it's more physical exertion than it's worth, especially on the way down from a tree. 
So I've right. I've kind of come back from using two, and I just use one on my sticks. What what for is tree stands? I've, I've probably yeah, I can't really think of anything tree stand related that I've tried and didn't really like, and then come back to. Okay, elaborate a little bit on this this webbing loop or this additional step mm-hmm. using rope. I, I I'm pretty sure that a lot of the guys aren't familiar with that. Yeah, so essentially the idea is how do I get more climbing height with no additional weight? Um, And the thought is, well, if you can take a piece of webbing that doesn't weigh much and you tie it onto your stick in the form of a stirrup, then that gives you one extra place for a foothold. And then it gives you one extra step. And if you use it on multiple sticks, you get three sticks each that has a webbing extension on it. Then you got three extra steps. It's like having four sticks with only three sticks of weight. Okay. Um, so the webbing that we usually use for that is you can either find it as like climb spec, one inch tubular webbing or mill spec. It's usually, I think it's around 4,000 pounds in tension. So as long as you tie your knots, right, there's very little chance that it's going to break. The biggest thing is just that, like I said before, it's um, a little bit less stable. So it takes some practice. Guys that are maybe a little bit older, a little bit bigger, um, probably want to definitely try it at low heights in your backyard first before you just go out into the woods and try it on all your sticks. Right. But for somebody like me, they're, I want to go to the woods without them. Okay. So how do you attach those to your sticks? You have to, like for me with my lone wolf sticks, I remove the hardware off the bottom portion of the stick, okay. and then I'll tie the uh i think it's called a water knot water knot or a frost knot to form the stirrup loop yep and then actually i might i have a video on it so maybe we can put a link to the video that'll be a little bit easier for people to just watch me do it rather than try to explain it but you you essentially just tie a little loop in the end of the, the stirrup and then you slide the stick through that loop and then you reattach the hardware so there's no way that it can really slide off the stick. Okay. I gotcha. And it's still easy to, um, it, you put the hardware that you put that bottom step back on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. I gotcha. All right. So now, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, uh, sticks and stands and some tweaks. What about saving money? And I know you talked, you talk a little bit about this sometimes, but, what about, you know, maybe, and it doesn't necessarily have to be sticks and stands, but mm-hmm. maybe places that a hunter can maybe save some money by maybe buying sure. a non-hunting related brand or product that, and that, that mm-hmm. can be the same thing as a hunting product. Yeah. So there's a couple things for sure. Um, adjustable trail cam mounts are really easy to make. You can make them either as a screw in or mm-hmm. as a, like a paracord attachment for like dollars um they're not expensive at all and you get full adjustability so i would definitely say if you're looking to make a or buy a bracket for your trail camera mount looking to making one first another thing would be um stabilizers for your bow okay if you're not necessarily as like a long term but if you're just kind of tweaking your bow setup and you're trying to play around with oh should i get a 10 inch stabilizer or should i try a sidebar it's really easy to make stabilizers out of like 
pieces of thread of rods and giant fender washers and wing nuts. Okay. And through like little brackets that you can buy from the hardware store for like 50 cents or whatever, you can actually make like a V bar uh, to be able to try out different stabilizer options before you drop $150 on one. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Ozone generators. So those are obviously very expensive, but with a little bit of electrical knowledge, you can put one together that has a pretty strong output for like $20. Really? Yeah, not the kind that you would like use in the tree, um, but like the kind you would use to basically treat like a duffel bag or treat your vehicle or something like that, treat your right. closet. How, how does that work? How would you, how would you, can you walk us through maybe a little bit of maybe the science behind that or, or yeah, what, so, pro- what products you're using to, to do that? Right. There's a, a couple different ways that ozone is produced, but the most common way is through basically creating a high voltage source that you pass your air through. And that really high voltage will essentially break up the oxygen molecules. And then that'll, some of those oxygen molecules will combine together to form ozone. So the basic kit, and you, you would buy this as a kit off of like eBay. Um, it comes with an air pump that feeds air into the system. It comes with this actual ozone generator, which is called a, a Corona discharge tube. And then it comes with an air hose that you could use to run into your, uh, your duffel bag or, or what have you. And then it has a transformer that actually takes the the wall electricity or a 12 volt source and converts it up to that really high voltage that it takes to run the system or create the ozone. I must say. So basically if you you buy the kit for like, I want to say the kit's like $12, $15 or something. And you got to wait usually like 30 days to get it shipped. If you're buying it from China, you can get them more expensive and get them like in a couple of days from U.S. sources. Yeah. But then it's just a little bit of, you got to solder a couple wires together and mount it on something. But that's about it. Huh. You're uh, much smarter than me. <laughs> I guess I didn't pay attention in chemistry or when, uh, when they were talking about that. But uh, that's, uh, that's interesting that, you mean, you know, there's, there's anything. I watched the YouTube video the other day about how a guy turned, he didn't turn his gas car all the way into a hydrogen car, but he put something into on the back seat where he added water and baking soda and electrical current. And I guess that helped create a little bit of hydrogen and mm-hmm. that hydrogen he pumped into his, uh, into his engine and it made his fuel burn better. Uh, and it was more efficient. So he was getting, instead of 20 miles to the gallon, he was getting like 45 miles to the gallon, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool. Yeah. I know some of those things you got to be a little bit careful about just because you get one <laughs> big benefit, but then there's, you're like also could be like ruining your engine at the same time. And you don't exactly. wouldn't know it until like a couple of years down the road. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the amount of, the amount of things on the internet that you can find now that are just at your fingertips. If you know how to search for them, it's right. pretty crazy. So while I got you on the phone here, and I know we didn't really talk about this at all, um, you know, this is a gear podcast. What kind of, I mean, recently some of the new, newer uh, products that come out, is there anything out there that really catches your eye or you're like, hey, I really like this product? 
Hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. For me, it's usually something that's either a tree stand related product that'll catch my eye or it is something clothing related, some type of new clothing technology or or combination of of pattern and something that I've been looking for. I don't really get too excited about archery related stuff anymore just because it seems like we've gotten to the point where we're making such incremental increases in like compound bow technology that, I mean, I've, I've been using the same compound bow since like 2011 now and I probably don't have any really reason to upgrade. So I haven't been real, really interested in some of the new products that come out on that front. But, um, and then like calls and scents, stuff like that. I'm usually not too interested about, but that's more just like my hunting style. I'm usually more of an ambush guy. Sure. I'd prefer to, you know, just kind of let my scouting take me to where I think the deer are going to be rather than try to bring the deer to me. Right. Um, right. So yeah, for me, it's all just kind of like things that I can use to climb a tree and sit in a tree and, uh, be comfortable in the tree. Nice. Nice. Are there any other like tips or tricks or maybe even going into the setup where you feel that a lot of guys fail or have problems with uh, as far as a running gun setup is concerned? Yeah, I think probably one thing is just familiarity with your setup and being able to do it efficiently and quietly and without working up a sweat. I think another thing is just speed. I think a lot of guys go way too fast when they get close to their setup as opposed to um, just kind of, you know, taking off from the truck. But then once you get within that last, you know, quarter mile, 200 yards, you're really slowing down and, and starting to observe your surroundings. And then I would say another thing would be not really paying attention to what the wind's doing on your entry route. You might have a good wind for where your stand is set up, but if you're walking upwind of where the deer are bedded on the way to your stand, then you might screw up your hunt without even knowing it. Yeah, we, me and uh, Mark Kenyon talk a, a lot about that on the uh, Wired to Hunt podcast that we do. So, you know, to all the listeners out there who are looking to talk a lot about looking into strategy of how to kill uh, those uh, those target bucks or target deer that you're after, go check out uh, that podcast. But uh, um, do you, uh, I mean, are you always trying to, tweak your setup are you always trying to look for a better option or have you get to the point now where you're just like uh this is good enough for me you know i always think that i'm there i always think that i'm at the point where okay this is i won't need anything else after this right but it never ends that's just my personality i think you know some people do the diy to try and save money for something else that might be on the market some people are trying to make something better or more individualized for them. And for other people, it's just, you know, kind of self-satisfaction or enjoyment. I think for me, it's usually a little bit of a combination of the three, but I think just my, my personality and my mindset, I'm always going to be tweaking something. Right. Okay. Um, I, I saw a video online the other day and it was, did, did you build your own longbow from scratch? Mm-hmm. Okay. So did you chop down the tree? I mean, no, I didn't go to, to, go to a lumber yard. 
I uh, I ordered the a kit basically from eBay, and I haven't been able to find a similar kit, but it was essentially a ready to glue kit that had a piece of eBay that was pre-tapered and a piece of bamboo yep. that was that was kind of cut out in terms of like width close to what it needed to be, right. and then I had to essentially glue it together in the form, which wasn't really all that hard. But then the challenge for that bow, and I guess any traditional bow that's a wooden bow, is doing the actual tillering that probably took me a couple of weeks to actually do it all and do it right. Um, but that was definitely a pretty rewarding project. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm starting to build a couple other bows and okay. using different methods. Like one, I did basically go to a, a lumber yard and building a bow for one of my friends doing that. And then for my own next personal bow, I'm kind of working on uh, something a little bit more, complex just with the different laminations and uh still an, an all wood bow no fiberglass but a little bit more like reflex deflex a little more hybrid kind of design shorter knock to knock length so it'd be easier to maneuver in a tree stand or from the ground and uh a little bit more i guess fun to shoot i'm hoping right so when you were building that initial bow tillering i take it that's when you are chipping away or filing down the the uh, wood on both end to make it more comfortable and get the feel right for you mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so part of it is trying to get the bow to match you and the other right. part of it is trying to make the bow well balanced um you can it's one of those things where if you really dive into it it's like you never really find where the rabbit hole ends because there's there's so much uh, little tiny things that can make a difference. Like how a person grips their bow um, can make a huge difference. You take one long bow that's tillered for like a split finger shooter in general, and then you get one person that shoots it and they have a high wrist grip, and you have another person that shoots it and they kind of heal the bow, the bow more. They could have, you know, completely different setups in terms of how their arrow knock needs to be positioned on the string to get good arrow flight. And those are things that you just kind of, you kind of try it out once and then you just kind of learn and you make another one. Usually, you know, it seems like a lot of the people that I've met that also make bows, they don't just stop at one. They just kind of keep building them. Right. Right. It's almost like uh, those guys who are out there trying to build the perfect surfboard. Uh, I've, I've, read some articles and watched some uh, uh, documentaries. I used to, when I was younger, I used to watch uh, surfing documentaries and skateboarding documentaries all the time. And uh, there was this one hippie out in California who was really, he, it was his goal in life to build the sur- perfect surfboard so he could ride the perfect wave and have that, I don't know, that ultimate experience. So mm-hmm. I can, I can, I can see, I got, actually, I got a buddy, um, his name's Kevin. He uh, does the uh, Trad Geeks podcast and uh, yep. he's trying to, he's trying to talk me into uh, getting, uh, getting a bow or uh, a long bow. Uh, and he's, he's like, dude, it'll change your life, man. It'll change your life. So, <laughs> uh, maybe someday. I think, I don't think I'm ready for it right now, but uh, I think someday I, I, I might uh, take that. They're, they're fun to shoot. Even if you don't plan on taking it hunting, they're fun to just fling arrows. It'll give you uh, a little bit more like enjoyment just out of the range that you maybe haven't experienced because you've gotten, you know, some people get complacent shooting the compound. 
It's just kind of, you know, go through the motions. It'll completely change if you try shooting a trad bow. Right. At least in my experience. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely want to give it a try sometime. Well, I tell you what, Garrett. Hey, man, I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, I know your schedule's crazy, but uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing some uh, some tips and tricks with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. All right, guys. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Huge shout-out to Garrett. Thanks for coming on the show and talking a little bit about uh, all the tips and tricks for uh, the running gun hunter and uh, cost savings and whatnot. Appreciate your time. If you guys want to find out more information about Garrett, and uh, I definitely suggest going to his website and checking out some of the videos that he has. They're very interesting. Go to DIY-sportsman.com and uh, take a look at, uh, you know, what he's got to offer there. It's some pretty interesting stuff. Huge shout out to Deer Lab. Huge shout out to Exodus Trail Cameras. Uh, if you guys want to save some money on uh, Trail Camera at checkout, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and you'll save $20 off your order. Other than that, guys, it's time to hunt. I'll be hunting this weekend. You should be hunting this weekend. Uh, everybody, no, not everybody, but you know what I mean. Get out there, have some fun, uh, start putting the pieces of the puzzle together for your target animal. Or if you're just out there to maybe slap a couple of those and uh, put them in the freezer, man, I'm all right with that too. So good luck this weekend. Check out, check me out on Facebook, check me out on Instagram and Twitter. And if you haven't already, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Other than that, man, be safe and wear your damn safety harness. Good luck this weekend.